Steven Seagal is widely regarded as one of the greatest actors in the pantheon of action movie heroes, and he will likely be remembered as one of the most talented martial artists of all time. The 7th degree Aikido black belt first made his way into Hollywood coordinating stunts and choreographing fight scenes. His training and masterful stylistics brought an authenticity to action films, but his power proved difficult to contain, even resulting in the broken wrist of lesser martial artist Sean Connery on the set of a James Bond film. It became evident to Hollywood that Seagal was a force not to be kept behind the scenes. In the late 80s and early 90s, he began starring in blockbuster films like Above the Law and Under Siege. As the millennium approached and mainstream tastes strayed away from authentic martial artistry, Seagal took more of a covert ops-style approach with his films, opting largely for direct-to-video releases. In addition to this, he displayed other talents by being an acclaimed blues musician and one of America's greatest diplomatic exports. And finally, in 2016, he leveraged all of these experiences to make The Asian Connection. Because this film is incredibly misunderstood and being deliberately silenced by elite pedophile lizards, I'm going to walk you through this cinematic event. If you plan on watching it, this will have spoilers, but I don't think it would take anything away from the movie. If anything, it would have been helpful to have these character names straight before watching, as things can get a little confusing at times. If you decide to watch it, I recommend turning it into a bit of a drinking game. It makes the movie much more enjoyable. I've even written up a list of rules for when to drink. First, drink anytime there's a death. Second is what I call seated Seagal. Drink whenever you see Steven Seagal sitting down in a scene. Drink anytime you see a cigarette or a cigar. I know it sounds stupid, but they try to make cigarettes a motif in the movie. Drink whenever Seagal says, motherfucker. In addition to pretending to be Asian, Steven also occasionally pretends to be black. I don't know if the word motherfucker makes him speak in abonics, or if he just uses that word when he's feeling particularly hood. Chicken and egg thing, I guess. But drink for a code-switched motherfucker. Finally, Everything else is a sip from your drink, but take a shot whenever you see some hot WMAF action, which is to say every time characters are implied to have fucked, take a shot. It's nothing specifically about white male, Asian, female, but that is the only type of sex we get in the movie. Drink responsibly. Movie opens with narration by Avalon, an Asian beauty on a tropical island, and she's describing life with her boyfriend a white man with the Chinese word for quest tattooed on his chest. She's living a fairy tale. However, every fairy tale has a monster. And that monster is apparently named Gan Sirenkiri. Their paths were about to collide. Switch to a shot of a man smoking outside a door. He's knocked out via karate chop. Two dangerous men are infiltrating the building, and one of them is the man himself. He's a large and girthy figure dressed in all black from his do-rag to his oversized Chinese shirt, which he pairs with Oakley's in a large gold medallion. Take two drinks as the pair kill a couple guards on the way into this vague crime compound, and take another drink 15 seconds later as we get our first seated Seagal. Steve, a.k.a. Gan Sirenkiri, talks with a Cambodian crime lord about the territorial issue they're having himself also being something of a Cambodian crime lord. After failing to come to an agreement, an assassin comes at Sirenkiri, which threat he effortlessly neutralizes. Then the two crime lords decide to settle it with a duel, whose terms the native Cambodian will decide. He chooses a sword fight, 
And Steve lets the audience know that... Well, that puts me at a disadvantage because you're a master of the knives and the swords. So if he does win, it will be even more impressive. The sword fight lasts way too long. The guy Siren Kiri came in with gets bored and starts drinking partway through and making faces. The soundtrack even gets bored and cuts off until they wrap it up. Siren Kiri wins, obviously. I expected more from you. Then we get the proper opening sequence following two men on motorcycles. Take a drink for seated Seagal in a new scene, and another for the cigar that one of his capos have, which guy will come up later. It's less than 30 seconds of exposition clarifying that Siren Kiri is a crime lord and has been eliminating competition, and then an incredible Thai woman with huge tits pops in, and Siren Kiri just kind of heads out to go fuck her. The time it takes for him to walk over to the bedroom door, which is directly off of this office, and close it, takes as much time as the rest of the scene took. Make drink number eight a shot for the implied hot WMAF action. We meet the two motorcycle guys from the opening credits, Jack and Sam. Jack is the boyfriend Avalon was talking about earlier. They're robbing a bank. They flee and examine the loot. It's an unusually large sum for the size of the town. And despite being in Cambodia, there's a lot of U.S. currency. We establish that Jack is in love with Avalon, for which Sam teases him, and the pair plans their smuggling of the cash across the border. Drink for Sam's cigarette. They get back to Thailand, and Jack, now dressed very much like Brad Pitt in Fight Club, meets up with Avalon. She works as a cigarette lady, which I mentioned because cigarettes are this weird motif that they force throughout the movie. Drink for that. He tells her it's her last day working on account of the surprise he has. He's bought her a rose-shaped necklace and shows her the cash. He's secretive as to its origin, but Ava's suspicions run when she finds the gun in his duffel bag. She's into the danger, though, as she holds the gun up to his head and they fuck on the cash. Back to Siren Carey in his flower garden with his big-titted lover who asks, What kind of flower is that? He explains it's a rose belle du Londe, the rose of compassion. It's meant to be a parallel to the rose necklace earlier, maybe saying something along the lines of Siren Carey patiently growing this rose in his garden and being able to give it to his lover, while small-dicked Jack is robbing banks for only its simulacrum. They also use this opportunity to explain why an American is here in Asia, and they keep saying Asia as it kind of takes place between Thailand and Cambodia. Niren, a trusted capo or equivalent to Siren Kiri, interrupts with bad news. The money that Siren Kiri had been keeping in a bank has been stolen, to which you know he has to break out the motherfucker and begin talking with an ebonic affect. Aren't you the motherfucker that told me that that's the safest place to put my money? Niren, having been the one who suggested Siren Kiri store the money at the bank, is now charged with retrieving it. I want results or I'll take these fucking rose clippers and bury them in somebody's motherfucking eye. Back to Jack, who is spending some of the stolen cash that we now know to be marked and belong to Siren Kiri. He has lunch with his partner, Sam, who he advises not to be so trigger-happy next time and to hold out on spending the cash, despite he himself using it to take Avalon out. Later, at dinner, Jack reassures Avalon that the money hasn't put them in any danger. The next day, Jack's having a cigarette outside when he's knocked out. He awakens tied up by Niren, there to interrogate him about the money. To get him talking, Niren burns his cigar on Jack's palm. Understandable torture, but then he splashes water on the burn and has Jack hold a stick of butter on it. Which is considerate, maybe? And the butter. Is it healthy? Yeah, actually, it does help a little. Niren informs Jack of their new compulsory arrangement. To pay the debt, 
Jack will rob more banks per Niren's instruction. Niren leaves him with tied hands, a burner phone, and a threat to the safety of his girlfriend. Avalon finds him like this, and Jack admits to her that he's robbed a bank and now has to do it again. She reminds him, as she will a lot, that she doesn't care about the money, which I don't know whether to believe, as she does care about him, but also really enjoyed fucking on the cash earlier, and the prospect of a new robbery invigorates her to nurse Jack back to health. Some drone shots of the Thai landscape imply nurturing femdom WMAF action. Sometime later, Niren sets up the job for Jack. Then, without explanation, retreated to a scene of Sirenkiri and Sovan doing Tai Chi, another one that feels like it lasts just a little too long for what it is. We find Jack now at a new, criminal-esque place, and dressed even more like Brad Pitt from Fight Club. He's here to see a man named Greedy Greg. I shit you not. He walks into a warehouse in what appears to be a poker game for hot, racially diverse studs. Michael Jai White plays Greedy Greg, a very vascular gangster for whom Jack does small jobs. Jack's come now looking for a heavier gun to do the bank job. Greedy Greg overcomes the allegations of his namesake and obliges Jack with his choice of heavy artillery. I don't think anyone really would have noticed the plot hole of Jack getting a bigger gun, so this scene mostly feels like a way to write Michael Jai White in briefly. Uh, you ain't just leaving. You ain't going nowhere. You understand me? What you're going to do is you're going to lift that shirt. I'm serious, man. Better equipped, Jack meets up with Sam, whom he now has to admonish about keeping the Resploits quiet, and gives him info on the next job. They hit the bank successfully, despite some further tension about Sam's trigger finger. Jack hands the money off to Niren, not disclosing his identity to Sam. Time for a montage. We get more robberies, all successful, though one involving killing a security officer. Also in the montage is Steven Seagal fucking. Fucking while sitting for your chaser. If you pause at 41 minutes, 31 seconds, you can see Sylvan's nipple. We exit the montage on another money drop-off. This time, Jack asks Niren who he's stealing from on all these bank jobs, accurately suspecting Niren of selling out someone else in the crime world. He also asserts that he wants to know when he'll have fulfilled their arrangement so that he can be done. Niren reveals that he has no intention of letting Jack off the hook anytime soon. Cut to Siren Kiri eating with his girl. He starts and does not finish what seems to be a bizarre musing on the ethics of eating fish. The way I look at it, it's like this fish. People saying, well, I shouldn't eat the fish because the fish is, you know, an important sentient being, and that's true. Excuse me, sir. I have some news. Niren tells him that he's so close to retrieving the money and that the plan will enact soon. We see another capo figure eyeing Niren suspiciously. Meanwhile, Sam has bought a new Mercedes. Jack, deeply stressed, yells at him about it, and a rift seems to be growing between them. He also lashes out at Avalon. During the next robbery, the partners, still less than amicable, are warned by Lucky that they're stealing from Siren Kiri. This name doesn't yet mean anything to them, but Lucky's non-compliance halted things long enough to have Jack and Sam run into both the police and assassins sent by Siren Kiri. A large shootout ensues. After a couple casualties, the pair manages to escape, but not before being chased down by one of the assassins, who, through gratuitous parkour, catches up to their motorcycles on foot. It's a close call, but the two manage to take him out, which seems to bode well for the reconciliation of their friendship. We then cut to Siren Kiri, who is very out of breath to be sitting down, 
having audience with his capos discussing the recent failure. Over half a million dollars. Mother. Somebody just came into my bank and took that fucking money. They took the money because someone told them it was there. At this point, he suspects Nier and Carey of organizing the robberies. However, because he's a paragon of justice, I'm going to have to wait to do what I do. So I want to be sure I don't kill anybody in this. Instead, he declares a bounty of a quarter million dollars to whomever of his brothers can find him the rat, and then literally demands his head on a tray by tomorrow. Meanwhile, Jack and Sam discuss their close call. They also grow suspicious of Niren and realize the danger he's putting them in. Later, Niren calls Jack about another job. Naturally, Jack isn't optimistic about it and, using the recorded phone call as blackmail, gets Niren to agree that this next job will be their last. Jack sees Sam and tells him that tomorrow's job will be their last and tells him about he and Avalon's plan to leave town thereafter. They take a stop for liquor and cigarettes when Sam gets jumped by carjackers. With the end of their struggles tragically in sight, Sam is shot and dies. We find Jack at home with Avalon, reckoning with his partner's death and the prospect that he still has to do the upcoming robbery without him. Avalon proposes that she be Jack's new partner and, though he's very skeptical, she makes a very unsubtle case that she's a competent femme fatale. With a body like this? <laughs> you better believe I know how to protect myself. While she and Jack prepare for the heist, we see some random kickboxing. It's Lucky's ring, and Siren Kiri has come to see if he's the rat, or if he has any information since he was at the bank at the time. Well, you got that kind of money. I could afford that. How you could afford that? Siren Kiri believes his innocence, but before leaving, just assaults his two boxers. I think this is just meant to show what a badass Seagal's character is. He knocks them out, but he doesn't challenge them or anything. He just kind of walks up and hits them while they're sparring with each other. I guess it's justified by him saying, Looks like your man didn't play by the rules. Earlier. The final heist. Jack and Avalon begin the robbery. We get a weird slow motion shot of them running around holding the place up with a no smoking sign prominently in the background. It goes on for a while, and while it may have just been coincidental with the shot, it feels like a reminder about the film's weird cigarette motif. They're really driving home this juxtaposition with uh, this lifestyle and Avalon's former modest work as a cigarette lady. I don't know why they keep pushing it. Maybe I'm too retarded to get the full symbolism or something. Uh, drink for it anyway, though. Anyway, they've got heavy artillery, and they end up needing it, getting into a shootout again. They kill a cop, and Jack gets shoulder-checked before they flee. Then we find a seated Siren Kiri meeting with his two top guys about the robbery. He uses his black scent to tell them, You know, I must be a dumb motherfucker. Some cause I keep putting my money in these banks. And the only reason why I did that, because one of my most trusted employees told me that was the safe place to put my motherfucking money. You'd think at this point he really would have just stopped putting money into these banks. He says he wants the bank robbers dead today and ends the scene by literally flipping a table and leaving. We can see the tension between Niren and the other capo. Back to Jack and Avalon, they're driving, trying to get away and lay low, while also dealing with Jack's gunshot wound and trying to get the last payment to Niren. A seated Siren Kiri and the other capo plan to kill Niren, being now sure that he's the rat. An assassin comes in the night and opens fire on Niren's bed. I'm not sure exactly what is going on here, but Niren heard the guy coming and hid before the guy came in shooting. But Niren also had a bedmate with him, and while I initially thought that he had just set up some pillows or something under the sheets, 
the digitally overlaid blood spatter suggests that he just left the girl in there to get shot. But then also she doesn't move at all, neither at hearing the gunshots nor when taking one. Drink anyway, I guess. Niren then cuts the shooter's throat. He has a close call with another assassin, but he manages to reverse a broken bottle stab and then throw him out a window. We get a look at Jack and Avalon that underscores their current desperation. Avalon resenting the situation and Jack being severely wounded. They just have to get the money to Niren and they can put it all behind them. They and Niren both drive to a meeting point. Lucky sees Niren en route and notifies Siren Kiri, who comes in an armored truck after Niren. Jack meets Niren to drop off the money, but kills him there instead. He and Avalon then head for the border in Niren's car. Siren Kiri, and again what seems to be some kind of armored vehicle with several gunmen, spot Niren's car and knows the robbers are in it. They follow him and a mobile gunfight ensues. It might be a little unsportsmanlike to drink for Steven sitting here since he's in a car, but he doesn't even move when he's shooting out the window. He just sits back and points his gun arm out the window, like at an angle where he'd be shooting the side of the road, but we still see bullets in their bag glass. So drink. They escape by causing a small explosion in the road that the truck could have just driven around, probably. But they make it to a port where they plan to ditch the car and take a boat up the river. But there they find Siren Kiri and his men looking for them. Jack sees no way out of it and commands Avalon to leave and save herself while he stays behind. He shoots in a last stand and takes out a couple men before Siren Kiri shoots him in the chest. Avalon, having not escaped yet, sees Jack shot and runs to him. Jack's last wish is that Avalon be spared, to which Siren Kiri obliges. When Siren Kiri speaks here, you can hear a heavy gain static around Seagal's audio that they didn't reduce for some reason. You, need the money? Take your life and go. Jack dies and Avalon gets on a boat and sails away. Her closing narration is amusing on what a good guy Siren Kiri is for sparing her life, and how it's crazy that a badass with such a big dick can also have such a big heart. She makes it to an island, finishing the frame of the film with the hopeful island scene from the beginning. <laughs> 